praise Yahweh. Let's uh let's take our Bibles and open up to the book of Luke chapter twenty four. I'd like to read verses thirteen through thirty five. Luke chapter twenty four verses thirteen through thirty five is our opening text. This is right after the visit to the tomb on resurrection morning. Resurrection of our Lord. And in Luke twenty four thirteen, we begin reading. It says, Now that same day, two of them, two of the men who knew and followed the Master, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Yeshua himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? who doesn't know the things that happen there in these days? What things? he asked him. So they said to him, The things concerning Yeshua of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, before the Mighty One and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day, since these things happen. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, Weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together, who said, The Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And I'd like to center in on verse 27 where Yeshua 
begins with Moses and the prophets, and he interprets for the men on the road to Emmaus the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. And then also in verse 32, where the men say to each other, we're not our hearts ablaze, that means we're not our hearts on fire. We felt a burning in our hearts when he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. I can only imagine what it would feel like to have the Master explain the scriptures to me after he rose from the dead, the same day that he rose from the dead. It would be great. The message today is not what I had planned on teaching last week, this week. And I owe this lesson today probably to provoking thoughts from my dear brother, Danny Prince. He's provoked me with some thoughts, and it has become an infatuation this week of mine. Something in Genesis we'll get here shortly, what this is about. But in all of the scriptures, as we see here in Luke 24, there is not just a story, but there is something called an understory. Understory is actually an English word. I looked it up today, and it has to do with the vegetation that grows under the forestry out in the woods. And you can't necessarily see it unless you do some digging, unless you peel a layer off of the surface. And in all of Scripture, there are many stories, like in Genesis, we read many stories. In Exodus, we read many stories. But there's an understory throughout the Scriptures. And all of the stories have the understory that is like a big giant arrow that's pointing to the Messiah, the one who is going to restore what the first man, Adam, left. How many know the first man, Adam, said yes to sin? The second man, Adam, said no to sin. Praise Yahweh that he did. So in all of Scripture, there's stories, but there's an understory. And today, as we turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis, in chapter 37, we're going to talk about the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. I've known the story of Joseph for a long time. It is a beautiful story, but this week I've fallen in love with it more than I ever have before. And I don't normally teach lessons like this. I normally like to teach verse by verse. And I've got a few notes, but I'm mainly going from memory today. I've always seen some similarities between Joseph and the Messiah. But I re-listened to the story of Joseph this week. Actually, me and Elijah and Benjamin re-listened to the story of Joseph this week. And I also read the story of Joseph this week from about Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 45 and then all along to the end of Genesis, the 50th chapter of Genesis. And an understory is not identical, but you can see glimpses of the understory as you read the text. And so what we're going to do here today is we're going to camp out in the book of Genesis. I thought about going from Genesis and then flipping to portions in the New Testament back and forth. But instead of doing so much flipping... I'll give you the New Testament references uh, to what I'm talking about in Genesis. You can write them down or listen to the sermon and go back and check these out um, one by one 
as you get time. But I believe that there's an understory of Yeshua of Nazareth in the story of Joseph. We know that Joseph was a son of Jacob Israel. He was one of 12 sons of Jacob Israel. And then there were really two tribes of Israel that came out of Joseph. Remember when he had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so sometimes we count the tribes of Israel as 13 instead of 12 because of the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, individual tribes. So we know that Joseph is existing back here in Genesis. But I believe that within or embedded in Joseph's story, we see glimpses or arrows that point to Yeshua the Messiah. I'm going to go through these points one by one, and you can take it or leave it. You can be the judge of whether or not this makes sense. First point is in Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 37, 1 through 3. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age and he made a robe of many colors for him. My first point is that Joseph was a beloved son or the beloved son of Jacob more than his other sons, this text says in verse 3. At Yeshua's baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, and also at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, in both of those texts, Yeshua's father, Yahweh, says, this is my, not just son, this is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Joseph was the beloved son of his father. Yeshua is the beloved son of his father. Joseph was also a firstborn son through Rachel. Joseph was not the firstborn son of Jacob Israel, but he was the firstborn son of Rachel. And if you remember the story in Genesis, Rachel was the beloved wife of Jacob Israel. Rachel and Leah, that was the two wives of Jacob Israel, and then they had handmaids. We read about them, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Jacob loved Rachel. Rachel was the lady or the girl that Jacob worked for first, but then he got tricked by Laban, and Laban gave him Leah before he gave him Rachel. Rachel's, I should say it like this, Jacob's firstborn son through Rachel was Joseph. Joseph was a firstborn. He was a firstborn son. Well, Yeshua, according to the New Testament, was a firstborn son. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, it says that Joseph did not know Mary, that means intimately, until she brought forth her firstborn son. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says that Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in a snuggly cloth and laid him in a manger. And then in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, it says that when the days of their purification was over with, after she birthed Yeshua, Joseph and Miriam, they brought Yeshua to the temple to present him to Yahweh because as it is written in the law, 
Every firstborn that opens the matrix or the womb of a woman shall be presented to Yahweh. Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. He was the first one to open the matrix of Rachel. Yeshua was the firstborn son to open the matrix of his mother Mary. Joseph was loved by his father, but he was hated by his brothers. Did you know that? Genesis 37 verse 4 says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. Notice he's the beloved son. They hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Joseph was loved by his father, but he was hated by his brothers. And his brothers even plotted to kill him. Genesis 37, 18 through 20. In Genesis 37, 18, it says, They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Verses 19 through 20 go on to show that they did not kill him. They threw him in a pit or in a well where there was no water. But not only was Joseph loved by his father, but hated by his brothers. And who were his brothers? The sons of Israel. Yeshua was loved by his father. He was the beloved son of his father, Yahweh. And he was also hated by his brothers. In Matthew 27, 15 through 26, his brothers cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. And we went through Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 where Peter in both of those salvation sermons, he's preaching to the men of Israel and he tells the men of Israel in both sermons to repent for what they did to the brother, their brother Yeshua. So Joseph was hated by his brothers, the sons of Israel. Yeshua was hated by his brothers, the sons of Israel. Joseph's father sent him to his brothers. Genesis 37, verse 12 and 13. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel, that's Jacob, Jacob Israel, said to Joseph, Your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. That's the story. I think there's an understory there because Yeshua's father also sent him to his brothers. He says in Matthew 15, verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Joseph was betrayed for pieces of silver. Genesis 37, 23 through 28, we see that Joseph was betrayed for silver. And then in the New Testament, in Matthew 27, verse 3, we see that Yeshua was betrayed for silver. Now, there's a little bit of a difference Remember, the understory is not always identical. Joseph was betrayed at least the first time for 20 pieces of silver. Yeshua was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We see a parallel there. My next point is that uh, Yahweh was with Joseph and made him successful. Genesis 39. Let's read this one. Genesis 39, 1 through 6. It says, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt... An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. Verse 2, Yahweh was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw Yahweh was with him, and that Yahweh made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. 
From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. Yahweh's blessing was on all that he owned. In his house and in his fields, he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. And I thought this part was funny. It says, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. (laughs) So Potiphar was worried about his food. But he let Joseph take care of everything else. Then in Genesis 39, 21 through 23, this is later when Joseph is in prison. We'll get more into that in a second. When Joseph is in prison, verse 21 says, But Yahweh was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because Yahweh was with him, and Yahweh made everything that he did successful. Hallelujah. How many know that when a man's ways please Yahweh, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him? Well, Yahweh was with Joseph and made him successful. And do you know that the reason that Yeshua was so successful is because Yahweh was with him? Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Write this down. Peter's preaching to the household of Cornelius. And he says, Yeshua went about in the region of Galilee, in the region of Israel, and he went about doing good, and he went about healing people, and he went about delivering people from the tyranny of the devil. For, King James says, God was with him. Or Yahweh was with him. There's a parallel to Joseph and Yeshua. The next point that I thought this one was exciting to me is in Genesis 39, verses 7 through 12, where Joseph was tempted, but he did not sin. Genesis 39, verse 7 says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. You know, this is a little side trick. Let me make a little point here. Just good to know these things. In the book of Jasher, Jasher is not considered Holy Scripture. It's mentioned twice in the Bible. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? The word Jasher means upright. It's the book of the righteous, book of the upright. In the book of Jasher, it talks about Joseph's handsomeness, how handsome he was. And he was so handsome that Potiphar's wife, who is named Zelica in the book of Jasher, she is infatuated with Joseph. It wasn't that she just one day wanted him to, to lay with her, wanted him to be intimate with her. She was infatuated with him to the point that it made herself physically sick. She wanted to commit adultery on her husband Potiphar and lay with Joseph. And he was so handsome that it said that when Joseph would go in to the palace to where the women would cook um, and would cut the vegetables, like the onions and things, that they would stare at Joseph and they would even cut their hands. They would forget what they were doing and cut their hands and they would bleed. It would bleed on their arms. And and Joseph was a very handsome, very well-built man. Genesis 39, 7, it says, After some time his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. Verse 8, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, 
because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against the Almighty? In the book of Jasher, it says that when Zelica, that final time, she caught Joseph and tore off the front of his robe, but Joseph fleed and said, I can't sin against Yahweh. When she went and told Potiphar, and at first Potiphar thought she was telling the truth, at first, later on, it got ironed out. But they took Joseph and they beat him with stripes, it says, for a crime that he did not commit. Well, what other man do we know that was beaten with stripes for a crime that, that he did not commit? It was Yeshua of Nazareth. Now, notice this. Not only was Joseph tempted, but he did not sin. This proves that the law of Yahweh at least this particular commandment, existed prior to Mount Sinai. All right, this is the law against taking your neighbor's wife. Now, we haven't got to Mount Sinai yet. That's after the Exodus from Egypt. That's all the way over here in the book of Exodus, where the law is given, the Ten Commandments and their respective statutes and judgments. Remember, you have commandments, statutes, and judgments. Well, here we see the law against adultery, or at least one form of adultery, taking your neighbor's wife, is mentioned here in Genesis 37. He says, I can't do this with you, Zelica, and sin against the Almighty. I will be transgressing the law. So the law existed back here in the book of Genesis. It's interesting that the book of Jasher also mentions that after Joseph is put in prison, and remember we read something about his imprisonment down in verse 21, after Joseph is put in prison, Zelica was so infatuated with Joseph that she secretly went to the prison house and still tried to seduce him while he was in prison and said, I'll break you out and you fulfill my requests and my desires. And Joseph said, nope, not going to do it. There was times when nobody was around. All the Egyptians had went out to battle and Zelika stayed back and Joseph stayed back and he still never gave in to the temptation. Well, in the New Testament, Yeshua was tempted. He was tempted, I believe, more than four times, but there was at least four times that are recorded that he was tempted by the adversary. And he said, no, 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 no. Even the devil knows the Scriptures, right? He can quote Scripture. He quotes them out of context. But the devil quotes Scripture, and when the adversary would quote Scripture to Yeshua, Yeshua would respond with a properly interpreted Scripture. Like, the adversary would say, um, if you're the son of Yahweh, command that these stones be made bread. And Yeshua would say, it is written, man, talking about himself, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. In other words, I've been fasting for 40 days. I'm on a spiritual high, adversary. I don't have to command these stones be made bread. I'm living by the words of Yahweh right now. See? So the devil quoted scripture out of context, Yeshua quotes it in context. And like I said at the beginning of the sermon, the first man, Adam, said yes to sin. But what the first man, Adam, lost, the second man, Adam, bought. And he said no at least these four times when, when Satan came. And after he was through, Yahweh sent angels to minister to Yeshua. And of course, you should know I've taught on this many times. Minister means servant. And so the angels came to serve Yeshua, they came to minister to him. They likely brought him food. He had just 
fasted for 40 days and 40 nights with no food. Joseph was tempted and did not sin. Yeshua was tempted and did not sin. Genesis 41, 15 through 16. Joseph accredited his ability to interpret dreams to Yahweh. Now, we know from reading Genesis that Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. I would like to have that ability. I don't have it. But I would like to. It would be neat to have that ability to be able to say, well, Brother Ron, you dreamed a dream. Come to me and we'll work this out and I'll tell you what it's about. I don't have that ability. So some people come to me sometimes and say, what do you think this dream meant? And I don't know. Sometimes I think dreams come from Yahweh sometimes. Other times I think it might be because we ate too much pizza or drank too much beer the night before, right? So don't accredit all dreams to Yahweh. Okay, Some of them can just be your flesh. But when Joseph was exalted here and remembered by the... I always get these mixed up. The chief, the chief cupbearer. He was remembered by the chief cupbearer. Remember, at first he was forgotten when the chief cupbearer was released from prison. But then two years later he was remembered. Joseph had been in prison. Actually, when you calculate the time in all, he had been there for 12 years. Now, he may have thought, I'm never going to get out. Now, even in prison, Yahweh was with him. Yahweh exalted him when he was in prison. But he might have thought, I'm never going to get out. And I was telling Brother Danny, as I was listening to the story in my work truck, I knew what was going to happen, because I've read the story before. Joseph, when he was when he was in prison, he didn't know what was going to happen. And so I was riding down the road, and people may think I was crazy. I don't remember how loud I was thinking it or saying it or something, but I was feeling in my spirit, Hold on, Joseph. Hold on, Joseph. And I felt like he just needed to hear that. Hold on, Joseph. It's going to get better. Hold on, Joseph. Twelve years he'd been in prison. Genesis 41, 15 through 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. What does Joseph say? Look how he's humble. Verse 16. I am not able to. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is the Almighty who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, we know, we're looking on the outside in, Joseph was able to. Yahweh had given him that ability. But when he was brought before Pharaoh, he said, I'm not able to do it. Yahweh is the one that gives forth the interpretation of the dream. This reminds me of John chapter 5, when Yeshua performed a miracle. In John 5, he healed a man that was sitting by the pool of Bethesda that had been lame for 38 years, and all of a sudden the man walks, and they're marveling at the miracle. It's the Sabbath day. And Yeshua says in John 5, 19, and you can go read before and after, but 19 is the pertinent verse. He says, I can of my own self do nothing. Now, once again, we're from the outside looking in. Yeshua was given the ability to do many things, right? But he's humble. He accredits the power to Yahweh. He says in the next sentence, he says, I do and I speak that which the Father gives me and tells me. That's John chapter 5, verse 19. Looking at Genesis 41, 37 through 45, we see that Joseph was exalted in Egypt and we might say he was given the right-hand position or the second-in-command position. Genesis 41, 37 through 45. Says the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And the proposal is once Joseph interpreted the dream for Pharaoh about the seven years of 
plenty of food, and then the seven years of no food or famine, Pharaoh knew this is right, this is correct. This is the proposal that Joseph gave to Pharaoh. During the seven years of plenty, collect one-fifth of the grain and let's store it up. All the grain that we get, let's collect one-fifth, let's store it up in the bin so that when the seven years of famine come, we'll have all of this deposited grain, we'll have all of this as a surplus and we can eat it in the years of famine. Verse 38, Genesis 41, 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has the spirit of God in him, or may, that may should say the spirit of the gods. Remember, this is an Egyptian talking. Elohim can mean God or the gods. Verse 39. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since Elohim has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and wise as you, You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot, and servants called out before him, Abrek. And in my Bible, in the HCSB Bible, there's a footnote saying that that word perhaps is an Egyptian word that means attention, attention. Or some people see it as a Hebrew word that means bow down and kneel. Uh, The end of verse 43 says, So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your permission, no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zapnaphtaneah, and gave him a wife, Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest at On, and Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Now look, same chapter, chapter 41. Look at verses 53 through 57. It says, Then the seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in every country, but throughout the land of Egypt there was food. Extreme hunger came to all the land of Egypt and the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Pharaoh told all Egypt, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Verse 57, the whole world came to Joseph in Egypt. The people cried out to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had set Joseph. He had gave him authority. gave him the second in command position. Everybody's going to obey your commands. Took his own ring off of his hand. Put it on Joseph's hand. Made him ride in that second chariot. And if some of us brothers were looking at Joseph riding in that chariot, TJ may look at me and TJ may say, Look, Matthew, there goes Pharaoh. And I say, Well, let's look a little bit closer, Brother TJ, because that's not Pharaoh. That's Joseph. But it looks like Pharaoh because he's got the same authority. He's been given all authority in the land of Egypt. Well, Yeshua was also raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of Yahweh. Acts 2, 32-36. And he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. His authority, Yeshua has all authority, but his authority is a derived authority. He doesn't have it inherently. Yahweh has authority inherently, but Yeshua is given all authority in heaven and in earth. And Paul lines it up like this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Paul says that the head of the woman is the man, the head of man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God, or Yahweh. So Paul lined it up like that. Yeshua is second in command. He's second tier under Yahweh's authority. In Genesis 45, verse 9, 
Look at Genesis 45, verse 9. This is after Joseph reveals who he is to his brothers. It's kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but it, it fits in this section of rulership and authority. Genesis 45, verse 9, Joseph says, Return quickly to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Joseph was made Lord by Yahweh. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel know that this Yeshua whom you've crucified, God hath made both Lord and Christ. Lord referring to the Lord of David, Psalm 110 verse 1, Christ referring to the Anointed One. So God made Joseph Lord of Egypt, God made Yeshua Lord of heaven and earth. On the heels of this, in Genesis 44 verse 18, we see that Judah, in pleading for his brother Benjamin, says that Joseph was like, equal to, or even as Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And what's going on here is that the brothers have already went back to the father. They still don't know who Joseph is. They went back to Jacob, Israel. They found the money that they paid, they used to pay for the grain, and it was still with them. And so they said, something's not right. Let's go back and give them this money. This money belongs to them. We've got the grain, and we've still got our money that we paid. And so when they come back, they bring... Benjamin with them. They didn't bring Benjamin the first time. Okay? And Judah is pleading for Benjamin because Joseph, unbeknownst to them, they don't know he's Joseph, they don't know he's their brother yet, unbeknownst to them, Joseph is their brother, and he says, you need to leave Benjamin here with me. Well, Judah speaks up because Judah's already put his life on the line for Benjamin. He told Jacob Israel, he said, look, if anything happens to Benjamin, I know you don't want him coming with us, If anything happens to Benjamin, I'll take the blame for the rest of my days. Well, Judah, in pleading with Joseph, says this, Genesis 44, 18, But Judah approached him and said, Sir, please let your servant speak personally to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. Now what Judah is is implying here is this, You have the authority to accept my plea. You have the authority to listen to what I'm about to say. And the HCSB says, for you are like Pharaoh. The New American Standard Bible and the New International Version has Judah saying, you are equal to Pharaoh. The King James Version says, you are even as Pharaoh. The Septuagint says, you are next to Pharaoh. And the New English Translation says, you are just like Pharaoh. The point here is that In Genesis 41, 37 through 45, Pharaoh gave Joseph all the authority in the land of Egypt. And he says, only in the throne will I be greater than you. Signet ring, clothes, chariot, the works. Judah and the brothers in Israel, brothers of Israel, they knew this. And so therefore Judah pleads with Joseph and says, listen to me. I know you can do this for me for you're even as Pharaoh. Well... In John 5.23, Yeshua says, once again you can read before and after, verse 23, Yeshua says, All men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. You may have to chew on that for a little bit. That's okay. Ruminate on it. 
Genesis 41:46 says that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph began his administration under Pharaoh when he was 30 years old. Well, in Luke 3, verse 23, after Yeshua was baptized, it said that Yeshua began his ministry at 30 years old. 30 years old. Don't you wish, I thought about this last week, and I may have said this to Elijah or maybe to Brother Randy a couple weeks ago. I sure would like to have more of what happened during Yeshua's teen years and in his 20s. I would love to be able to read that. We have that one account in Luke 2 when he's 12 years old and they leave him at the temple. Wouldn't you love to read about his 20s? Well, we don't, you know, one day we can ask him. and Hopefully he'll share that with us. But he began his ministry under the administration of Yahweh when he was 30 years old. A few more of these. Jacob Israel sent his sons. Who were his sons? The Israelites. They were the progenitors of who would become the nation of Israel. Jacob Israel sent his sons to Egypt to buy grain. And who did they buy the grain from? Joseph. They went to Joseph to buy the grain from Joseph. And the reason he sent them to Egypt was so that they would live and not die. Genesis 42, verses 1 through 3. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at each other? Listen, he went on, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. That's the reason Jacob sent the Israelites to Joseph. Well, the Israelites are told to come to Yeshua by faith and eat of him the bread of heaven. That's what we make out of grain, the bread of heaven, in order to live and not die. John six fifty seven through 58. Yeshua says, As I feed on the Father, and I live because of the Father, so he that feeds on me will live because of me. We go to the bread of heaven, Yeshua, so that we will live and not die. There's a natural and there's a spiritual. When Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to buy grain, in Genesis 42, verse 7, look at what he did. It says, When Joseph saw his brothers... He recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and he spoke harshly to them. So, when his brothers first showed up, Joseph treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Why? Because they had sinned against him. Well, Yeshua also spoke harshly to the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 23, his Judahite brothers. He treated them like strangers. Why? Because they had not accepted him for who he was. But in the end, according to Genesis 45, look at this. Genesis 45, 1 through 8. Let's read this one. Genesis 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were too terrified to answer him. Probably shocked them. I mean, could you imagine? They didn't know this was Joseph the whole time. And the ruler over Egypt was their brother that they had threw into a pit and sold to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. He says, I'm Joseph. Verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. I'm Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here. 
because the Almighty sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. The Almighty sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but the Almighty. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, we know that it was his brothers that sent him there. But Joseph is talking about in the big scheme of things. Alright? That's why he says, it wasn't really you. This wasn't, in the big plan, it wasn't your plan. You meant to harm me. But it was Yahweh that sent me to Egypt because he knew the famine was coming and he needed to get me to Egypt so that I could instruct Pharaoh on what to do with this grain for the seven years of plenty. So in Genesis 45, 1-8, what we're learning is Joseph forgave his brothers in the end. First, he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. He was upset. But in the end, he forgave his brothers, his fellow brothers, sons of Jacob Israel. Well, in Luke 23:34, as Yeshua was dying on the cross, he prayed to the Father and he said this about his brothers. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the end, Yeshua forgives. He forgives all those, no matter what they've done. He forgives all those who come to Him in faith. And that's what Acts 2 and Acts 3 is about. The salvation sermons to the men of Israel. Peter was saying, look, you've crucified the Master, but you can be forgiven if you come to the Messiah. That's what the story of Saul of Tarsus is about, is it not? He persecuted the saints, the ecclesia, the church. And when Yeshua talked to him from heaven, remember now, in Acts chapter 9, Yeshua has been in heaven for several years. He ascended to the right hand of the Father back in Acts chapter 1. We're over here in Acts chapter 9. He's been living in heaven, not upon the earth. But when Yeshua cries out to Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now how in the world could Saul be persecuting Yeshua? He was in heaven. I'll tell you how. Saul was persecuting the church, the saints of Yeshua. And Yeshua looked at the persecution of his followers as though he was being persecuted. You see that, Brother Ron? Catch that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He says, why do you persecute me? But he doesn't mean me specifically or identically, but he means through my followers I'm being persecuted. You're kicking against the pricks, Saul. Why are you kicking against the goats? Of course, we know what happened to Saul. He was forgiven. He was a fellow Israelite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was forgiven of his sins. See how Yeshua, He forgives you when you come to Him in faith. So this is, uh, this is beautiful. In the end, Joseph forgave his brothers, and Yeshua also forgives his brothers. And then last, but certainly not least, in the story of Joseph, we see the compatibility of the sin of man for the greater glory of Yahweh. Now this doesn't make a whole lot of sense in my human thinking. But this is a biblical teaching. Theologians sometimes call it compatibilism. That's a fancy word that just means everything works out for the glory of Yahweh. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, now this is after Jacob, they've already went to get Jacob Israel. They brought him and the whole family, 
all of his sons, wives, and and the grandchildren, and they go to Egypt. And remember at the first, at the end of Genesis, they're experiencing pleasure and, and greatness in Egypt. No bondage, no slavery, no anything there at the end of Genesis. So then Jacob dies. Joseph gets to see him, see his father. They weep. It's a great reunion. Jacob dies. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the wrong we caused him. So they're worried. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brothers' transgression and their sin, the wrong they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the mighty one of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. Then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him, and said, We are your slaves. See, they're worried. They're worried. Our dad's dead. Joseph's going to be upset with us. Let's bow down and pay homage to him and say, We'll be your slaves. But what does Joseph do? Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of the Almighty? You planned evil against me. The Almighty planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. That's talking about the the grain was there during the years of famine. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So the compatibility is this. One action... Catch this. You're going to have to mull this over and meditate on it. I know. I do all the time. At work, at home. Sometimes I dream about it. One action. The hatred of the brothers threw them in the pit, sold them to the Ishmaelites. That one action, the brothers planned that for evil. Remember they even tried to cover up their sin? They took the robe that they had snatched off of Joseph, killed an animal, put the robe in the blood, took it to their father and said, a wild animal killed your son. And Jacob Israel, he was distraught. He said, I'm not going to get over this. People tried to come and comfort him. And he said, no, I will mourn for Joseph until the day that I die. It tore him up. That was his beloved son. Joseph said, you planned it for evil. But the whole time there was another thing going on. Yahweh planned it for good. In Acts chapter 4, verses 27 through 28, when the early church... Peter goes back to the early church after he experienced some persecution. And the early church, they lift up their voices together in prayer to Yahweh. And part of that prayer, you can go read that prayer. It's a great prayer. We should pray like that. We should pray like they prayed. Part of their prayer, they said this, that what Pontius Pilate, Herod, the nations, and the people of Israel meant to do to Yeshua to kill him, it was what Yahweh's hand had already planned and predestined. In other words, the people meant it for evil against the Messiah. It was the worst sin that could ever be committed to murder the Son of Yahweh, but Yahweh, in that one act, planned it for the good of mankind so that we could be saved by His death. That's compatibility. That's what I have to mull over a lot. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to my human thinking. One action, men can mean for evil, but Yahweh plans it out for good. In closing, let me just say this. I'll ask you a question. Is the story of Joseph one of those stories in the Scriptures with the understory of Yeshua of Nazareth? Could it be that some of the things that Yeshua explained to the men on the road to Emmaus 
was that even in the well-known story of Joseph, that story had an understory that pointed to Yeshua. You can decide that for yourself. I've made the decision for myself. I think that it is pointing to Yeshua. Meditate on that and think about that. This wasn't a normal sermon, I guess, for Brother Matthew, but gives you a lot to think about. And we'll be here next week, next Sabbath. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You and I praise You. Um, I pray, Father Yahweh, that the Scriptures that we went over would be remembered by all of us. And we would, Father, I pray that we would not just read them on the Sabbath day, but we would daily get into Your Word and examine the Scriptures. Um, they truly are health for our navel and marrow for our bones. We need them. We need them. We need them just as much, if not more, than natural food. Father Yahweh, we're thankful. I'm very thankful. I've fallen in love over again with the story of Joseph. Um, I'm going to continue to study, and I've learned so much from it. And I've also learned so much from uh, what I believe it's pointing to. And that's the message and the story of, of your son, your beloved son, Yeshua of Nazareth. I thank you and praise you, Yahweh. Bring us back here next Sabbath um, to join again in worship to you, meditate on your word. Through Yeshua, I pray.